0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. All right, and let me encourage you to take advantage of small groups, this one and the others that are offered, and to be part of that. And if you need a Bible this morning, wave at one of our ushers, and they'll be happy to pass a Bible to you. And you can turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and that'll be the the app that we're looking at this morning, Philippians 4, verse 8. It's interesting as I've been thinking about some of these apps, these applications of God's Word in our life, and most of them stand alone in the sense they're verses that you could put on a coffee cup, or a t-shirt or a, a, a poster or, or a picture on the wall and you read them, they're inspirational, they have a certain amount of application that you just see automatically. And and so I was thinking about that because even the ones that have been sent to me, as people send uh, different apps, they're Joshua 1 nine, which is one that you'll see often on um, an inspirational calendar or on a shirt or coffee mug. Um, there are other, Romans 12, 1, and 2 was one of, that was sent to me, another one that's, that's very popular, Isaiah 26, 3, which we're going to refer to this morning. Just different verses that often stand alone, and I had this thought during the week, you know, well, every verse kind of stands alone, then I wait a second, no, every verse does not stand alone, all right? Um, there are many verses that if you don't understand it in context or a bigger story, it wouldn't be inspirational, it would probably be discouraging, right? Let me, let me illustrate for you. Let's say you're having a tough day, and you think life has no meaning, and you open up to Ecclesiastes 1, and it says, life is meaningless. Um, and you're thinking, wait a second, I needed some inspiration, some encouragement. That verse by itself, out of context, isn't very inspirational. Guys, what if you're getting older? I know I am, and you see more gray, and or the hairline's receding, there's more hair in the sink, you know, when you brush your hair and all than there used to be. And you think, well, Lord, at least you love me. And you turn over to 2 Kings 2. And what does it say? Go away, baldy. (laughs) Actually, in the King James, it literally says, it it says, go forth, thou bald man. Go forth, you know, old bald head. Um, Literally, modern translation, literally, go away, baldy. Um, What if you're having problems as a couple? Well, you could go to to Chris and Allison's small group, but if you're having trouble and and you've had a fight, and you're going to the Word, or you're flipping over your little inspirational calendar and looking for a verse for that day to give you some inspiration, and you go to Proverbs 29, and what does it say? It says, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. And you think, Lord, is that a word for me? Should I go living alone in the desert? See, every verse doesn't do so well alone. Now here, this one I love. We know God provides for us. He has provision for every day. So I get up in the morning, Lord, thank you. I give you my life. I know you have provision for this day. I know you've got great things in store. And whatever it is you want to provide, Lord, I receive. And you open up to Jonah 1.17. And what does it say? It says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. That was his provision that day. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Every verse doesn't stand alone. All right, it it needs context. The more I began to look at this, I realized every verse needs context. Every verse that God, even the ones that we pull out, we pull out individual verses and we get excited and they inspire us. But sometimes we pull them out of of the context of, of what's happening around them, which would give us more application, more direction. And the verse we're going to talk about this week and the one we're going to talk about next week come out of probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. I have groups of scripture I really love. If you wanted a group of chapters, it's Hebrews chapter 6 through 10. I love Hebrews 6 through 10. Um, I also love Romans 1 through 8. If you want to understand the gospel as clearly as you'll ever see it, Romans 1 through 8 just lays it out. Uh, There are books that I love, individual books and things, but if you want a particular chapter that I go to often and it has been such an encouragement in my life, it would be Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at a couple passages in Philippians 4, one this week, one next week. But I want to start with a verse which is not our app, but I want you to see it because you're all going to recognize it. As a matter of fact, I could start it and you could finish it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We know that one, right? You've seen that on a coffee mug or two, all right? Or on a t-shirt or on a poster. But we often quote that verse outside the context of chapter 4. What we're going to do is we're going to look at what he was talking about when Paul said, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I can do all things through Christ. What was he talking about? He was talking about two very specific areas. Now, the, it, it, it applies across the board, obviously. I can do anything that the Lord calls me to by the power of Christ at work in me. But when Paul's writing it in chapter 4, he's talking about two very specific areas. And it helps me to understand, it has been life-changing for me to understand that that verse, which we quote all the time, apply specifically to these two. Here's the verse that we're going to focus on this morning. It's verse 8 in chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. The Apostle Paul is dealing with what I personally believe is one of the greatest struggles that we have as human beings, and especially as believing human beings, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, who are followers of Christ, is this whole aspect of how we think. Everything, that's a universal statement. It may not be good, but in my opinion, everything in your life, is impacted by the way you think. Everything. The way we think. Matter of fact, Proverbs says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, here's the challenge. It's not just believers who understand this. The world understands this. How many of you work for a company or have worked in a company where they put a real emphasis on thinking, positive thinking, goal setting, you know, there's continuing education even in changing the way we think and having this positive outlook and communicating. How many of you work in a company that does that? All right. Most of you. The world gets it. They understand it. As a matter of fact, a book that I read as a young man, and, and I would actually recommend the first chapter of this book even though I would do it in the context of what we're gonna talk about this morning. But this is a very old book, a book, a book written by Frank Betcher. Frank Betcher was a professional baseball player who went on to become a salesman. But he wrote a book called How I Raise Myself from Failure to Success in Selling. And um, And there's a lot of worldly wisdom in it, a lot of practical stuff, a lot of stuff I think that humanly speaking does work. The reason I like it is the very first chapter. His very first chapter is on enthusiasm. And I think the first chapter is worth a read. I think everybody ought to read it because it really does give you an understanding. And because if you understand enthusiasm, do you know where the word enthus comes from? N means of. Thus is, is theos, God. Enthusiasm comes from God. Christians ought to be the most enthusiastic people on the planet. So there's some good things that you can see even in the world. But I'm not a big believer in the power of positive thinking, okay? Because I think it's limited to how far the flesh can take you. And even if your flesh whips your flesh into shape, you still lose because the flesh wins. Do you understand that? That if you use your flesh to try to bring the flesh under control, you lose either way because it's still the flesh. Because as a believer, he says, I want the spirit to control the flesh. I want the spirit to change or to bring in subjection the flesh, not the flesh trying to subject the flesh. And we've done a lot of that. We have taken worldly philosophy and tried to use it in church. But so, what we're talking about this morning, I'm not talking about a worldly philosophy. I'm not talking Dell Carnegie or Zig Ziglar or all these. Other. Again, I'm not saying there's not some valuable things in all of that, but that's not what we're focusing on here this morning. I'm talking about an encounter with the Lord and a work of His Spirit that fundamentally changes the way I think, a revelation. Um, uh, an inspiration, if you will, a, a light flashing. How many of you would say that you can name times in your life where something that was very familiar to you, something that was, some might even say is pretty simple or pretty common, but something happened at a particular point and it was like the light came on. It was like the blinders were removed from your eyes and you saw it and it was revolutionary. It changed your life. How many have had that experience? All right. We all have, I hope, That's what I'm talking about. The Spirit of God changing the way I think, revolutionizing the way I think. That's what Paul was talking about. He started the chapter and he's talking about rejoicing always. He's he's caring for two women who are fighting there at the Church of Philippi, and he's encouraging others to come alongside and restore them. And So he's got this care and compassion of what's happening in people's lives in the church. He's talking about rejoicing. And then he talks about right before this, he says, I don't want you to worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Anybody ever failed that admonition? Yeah. Anybody fail it last night? I mean, or this morning? I mean, really. We, we can be great warriors. If there was a spiritual gift of worry, we would all have it. He says, I don't want you to worry about everything. Well, yeah, good luck with that, Paul. He says, instead of worry, I want you to do something else. I want you to pray. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I'd rather worry. I'm I'm good at it. I'm much better at worrying than I am praying. How many of you would say you're a better worrier than you are a prayer? All right. Quite a few. Yeah. Comes naturally. It's supernatural for God to change that. Supernatural. So the Lord through Paul, is saying, hey, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And he's very specific. He says, pray in general, supplication specifically. And then he gets even more specific than that. He says, make your request known. Say, God, here's what I really want. Now, sometimes people hear that and they say, okay, I'm just going to make out a list of all things I want. and I'm going to tell God. You can. You probably won't get them all, all right? He probably won't do all those things because prayer is more than just bringing your list to Santa Claus and him fulfilling it, okay? Prayer is a work that God does and changes me. As Brian was talking about earlier, when he gathers to pray with the men, it's something that he thought he was doing for God. It's something literally God's doing in him. It changes you. But it is the work of the Spirit happening in you and me prior to this, because the verse is right before this verse. And then the verse that we looked at to start with, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you are sitting here saying, Troy, I can't not worry about things and pray about everything. I can't think this way. The context of Philippians 4 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which means I can think differently than I think by the power of Christ at work in me. I can think differently. You say, I can't. My kids hate to hear me say this. My dad said it all the time. Can't never could do anything. How many of you have heard that before? All right. For those who haven't, that's my gift to you today. All right. (laughs) Use it with your kids. They'll hate you. All right. I didn't like it much when my dad did, but I understand it the older I get. We often, even when we read God's word, we start from a position of can't. I can't. I can't. That's impossible. can't do it. Well, the reality is, yeah, that's true. It is impossible. I cannot think differently very long or very well in my own strength and my own flesh. But what he's saying is there's a power at work within you. I can do all things through Christ, the Spirit of Christ who dwells in me. There's a power at work in you that can do supernaturally what you can never do naturally, or change the way you think. How am I supposed to think? if I'm If I were to agree that the Spirit of God in me can change the way I think, how am I supposed to think? What am I supposed to think about? That's why I love this verse, because it's probably the most concise place anywhere in God's word that tells me how to think. It says, first of all, what is true? Think about what's true. I need to help you with this a little bit, because the Greek word true here doesn't mean just what's accurate or right. We think, okay, it's either true or it's false. It's true that Katie's shirt is pink. That's a true statement, all right? But that's not what this word literally means, okay? In the Greek, the word is more, the best way I would say is reality. When the scripture says that Jesus came full of grace and truth, it didn't mean he came full of grace and he was always telling the truth, though he did always tell the truth. It meant he brought reality to an unreal world. He brought reality into unrealness. I'm telling you, folks, you and I live in the midst of unreality I'm not sure that's even a word but anyway we live in the midst of something that's not real Jesus brings reality to that which is not real let me give you a case an example this week I was listening to the news and there was a a test they were doing a survey thing they were asking some questions and you asked this, and depending on how you answered the question, it determined what your politi- political bent was, whether you're conservative, liberal, libertarian, what you might be. Depending on how you answer these questions, you line up. So they ask this question, do you believe the government should do this or do you believe the government should not do that? All right. So I start to answer the question, and immediately the Holy Spirit says, no, it's a false question. It's a false premise. It assumes right off the bat that the government's capable of doing this or not doing that. All right? It assumes that people can do this or they can't do that. It's a false premise. It is not reality. So whatever answer I give will not be truthful. Because it doesn't matter. That's not a possibility. It's not reality. And I begin to realize that in our life the Holy Spirit wants to do that all the time. Sometimes we think, well, it's either this or this. And he says, No, I got another option for you because neither one of those are based in reality. You begin to understand that truth. Thinking in truth is not something that you and I are just going to be able to decide, okay, this is truth and that's not truth. The Holy Spirit's going to have to reveal truth to you. He's going to have to show you. He's going to have to show me. That's why prayer is so vital in all this. On a daily basis, I'm saying, Lord, would you reveal truth, reality, to the way I think today as I go through this day? Would you show me what's real and what's not real? Because he's the only one who can. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable. The word here is in some places is translated reverend. I have someone in town who likes to call me reverend. I don't really love being called reverend. Just in case you're wondering, um, um, it's kind of an old sort of way to address a pastor. Sometimes to call him reverend, and it seemed kind of weird to me. Except in on this one way, it's literally saying when I watch you or what you do or how you live, it's worthy of admiration and even imitation. That's part of what this word is. So when it says honorable, I think about things that are worthy of imitating. And see, this is a real, this is a catch-22 for us as Americans, because we will think about things that we would say, oh, I'll never do that, but I'll think about it. Oh, it would never be appropriate for me to say that, but I'll think about it. It would never be appropriate for me to act in that way, but I can think about it because that's private. That's just in my thoughts. Philippians says, no, I want the Spirit to do a work in you so that your thoughts are worthy of imitation, that you could act out what you're thinking. This has so many applications. Do you see it? I mean, the things that we do in our thoughts, could you act that out and it be honorable? Would it be Christ-centered? Would it be godly? Could others follow? Could your children or grandchildren come along and act that out too, and it be a good thing? Are you doing something that if they did, they'd get in trouble for? Are you thinking things that if they did, they'd get in trouble for? There's a lot to this whole honorable. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think this way. Whatever is just, some of your translations may say righteous because it can be translated either way. Whatever is righteous or right, but literally it's more than what's right. You say, "I am well, everything I think is right. I always think about what's right. No, what's righteous? Do you think about what is righteous? Yeah, I'm thinking about how I would righteously like to get even with this person. I don't think that's what the Holy Spirit had in mind. Are my thoughts righteous? Let me say it a different way. Would Jesus think my thoughts? Would the righteous one think my thoughts? Did he think my thoughts? Some of them he does. See, some of our thoughts are us just wrestling and and growing in our walk with the Lord. And though they aren't necessarily where we want to stay, they aren't in and of themselves unrighteous. For example, when Jesus asked the question of his father, it was more than just his thought. He verbalized it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I feel alone. I feel lost. I I feel like you're not here. Sometimes I think that way. Okay, it's not necessarily an unrighteous thought. Where it leads, what happens, what I do with it could become unrighteous. But are your thoughts righteous? What is, whatever is pure? The easiest way I know to say this what doesn't make you dirty? Do your thoughts make you dirty? Do they make you feel dirty? Do they make you feel unclean? That's what he's saying whatever is pure, whatever is clean. Think about those, what do you listen to? I like to laugh, I think laughter's a good thing. Scripture says laughter does good like a medicine. I like to listen to comedians, but the problem is, is most of them I don't find funny. And especially today, most of them are gross. It's not clean. And, and I've had this conversation with my kids in particular, but with others as well, it's like, well, yeah, but there's some really funny stuff in here, I know. And there's also some stuff in there that's just not clean. And this becomes the real challenge of, okay, I can think this way, but if I fill my mind with this over here, then I begin to think things that aren't clean. I'm not necessarily saying they're doing it. It was the comedian who said it. I didn't say it. They said it. But I'm thinking about it. I'm, it's it's becoming a part of my mental processes. And again, there are so many ways that this happens in our culture through what we watch, through what we read, through the people that we hang out with. I was really challenged here recently and how far we have allowed standards to change in our culture and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. I was watching something here recently on network television, primetime network television, and there was nudity in it. And I'm thinking, wait a second, when did that become acceptable? But it has become acceptable. This wasn't, this wasn't, you know, stations you pay for. This is network television. We've just continued to move on and we've thought, well, there's some good things in it, but maybe not so much good stuff in it. I'm telling you, part of the reason that we struggle so much with how we think is because we have a very accepting attitude about what other people do and say and how we can participate in that. Paul's saying, if it's not pure, if it's not clean, Don't entertain it. Don't think about it. Whatever's lovely. Interesting word. Combination of two Greek words. It literally is the word pros, which means toward, to to move toward. And then phileo, brotherly love. It's like brotherly love toward. Some translations translate this, what is winsome. What is just... It stirs up love. It stirs up feelings of love. It stirs up compassion. Things that stir up compassion. Things that are winsome. Things that cause me to want to to move towards someone or something with brotherly love. And I think this Bible is so specific. It didn't talk about other kinds of love. It said brotherly love, which is appropriate to give to everyone. Brotherly love can also be sisterly love. I mean, it's, it's appropriate love to give in any relationship. It's not eros love, which wouldn't be appropriate in any situation. It's, it's agape love you could use in every situation, but this is brotherly love. You can use it with every relationship that you have. Whatever is commendable. Some of you have translations probably say, whatever is a good report. You may have a translation that says, whatever is of a good report. Fair speaking is another way to say Can I tell you that the, one of the great challenges I see in American culture today is that there is a belief, a thought process that we can pretty much, we ha- that freedom of speech means I can say whatever I want and it doesn't matter because I have a right to do so. I don't think that's what the founders meant, but even if it is what they meant, it's not what God says. I do not have the right to say whatever I think. Matter of fact, the scripture says I don't even have a right sometimes to think it. To be able to communicate things that are going to encourage and build someone up, that is my calling. That is the gift that God has given to me. He's like, well, Troy, I just have to tell people the truth. All right, go back to the very first one. Is it your truth or is it God's reality? Because sometimes your truth and God's reality are not the same thing. You think it's true, and God says, no, let me show you reality, what really is. Do your words build up and encourage? You say, well, I'm not sure they do. Well, I can tell you this. If your thoughts don't build up and encourage, I promise you your words won't. Because your words flow out of what you think. And you think about something long enough, you'll eventually say it. It'll come out, and you'll think, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't. You've been thinking it. Now it just came out. In one sense, I guess that's a good thing, at least it's out there in the open now, I'm not pretending. If there's any excellence, I'm, I'm wondering if we're a people of excellence any longer. Are we really? We used to think about that as Americans, we often thought of ourselves as people, people of excellence. But really are we people of excellence any longer? Especially when it comes to, as a believer. Is good enough good enough? I can't tell you how many times I hear that phrase, well, it's good enough. Give me a second. Where does excellence and good enough fit together? They don't. Good enough and excellence don't fit together. Excellence is excellence, and good enough is just good enough. Good enough says, well, this is about all I'm willing to invest in this. It's about all I'm willing to give. Excellence says, no, Lord, I want you to do something supernatural in me that everyone will recognize that's over and above. That's beyond. This is the whole message of the New Testament. When Jesus, in his very first message, he said, I want you to so let your light shine that others will see your excellence, your good works. They'll see your excellence. And they'll give glory to the Father. They'll give glory to God. Not to you. You don't don't perform excellently so they will praise you and you get the glory. You live a life of excellence so that the Father gets the glory because they'll recognize immediately that's not humanly possible. And you'll be able to say, you're right, it's not. But the Spirit of God in me, Jesus at work in me, allows me to live in an excellent manner, to think excellent thoughts. Is there anything worthy of praise? These are challenging. Worthy of praise. I was driving this week. I have a lot of stories about driving. Um, driving is my, my thorn. This, I prayed three times the Lord to remove it. and I need a chauffeur is what I need. Um, but I was driving. It's in my neighborhood. I didn't get out of my neighborhood. I mean, it's bad when you start having a bad time and you haven't even made out of the neighborhood yet. And I'm coming in, in at the beginning of the first part of my neighborhood, it's two lanes. It's just like most neighborhoods. It's, there's two lanes. But, and if, as you come in, there's a big curve right at the beginning of the neighborhood, and there where the curve is, there are a number of houses, and the people, though they, like me, have a perfectly good driveway, they all park on the road. And so it's a little frustrating to me, and I don't always have good thoughts when I come around that corner. And um, so, and plus it makes it difficult when you're driving because people have to navigate around these cars, but it's, tra- it's only two lanes. And, and so there's always a having a give and a take there because someone's coming along and they're wanting to come around and you're coming up. So I was coming along and I was in the lane that had no cars parked. There was another person coming along. Uh, a, a woman in, in a car coming this way where the cars were parked. And so the truck in front of me, he's going on through and I'm going on through because everyone understands that if your lane has no cars, you have the right-of-way and the lane with cars. It's just like if you were out on the road and you were passing, you would wait until the lane you went into that you trespassed into, all right, that that lane was clear, All right. <coughs> That's what you're doing. You're trespassing into a lane that is not yours. Okay? I'm explaining this in case any of you have missed. You, you missed that when you, when you went to driving school. Okay? So, but this lady didn't understand that. So the truck goes through, and then she jumps out, and here, we, I mean, we're right there. Well, I'm in the right, so I'm not stopping. And apparently she thought she was in the right. She's not stopping either. And we missed each other by about that far. And oh, and then that irritated me. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to put this thing in reverse and back up and go with her and give her a piece of my mind. I didn't. The Holy Spirit in that instant. And he said, Troy, what are you doing? Over a piece of asphalt. I'm telling you. This battle in our mind is huge. And I was in a good mood. I had spent time with the Lord. I was happy. Life was good. In an instant, I was ready to chase this lady down. Teach her how to drive. You can imagine it is when I get out on the main streets. You know, I get out of my neighborhood. Worthy of praise. And that was what the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I immediately thought about chasing her down and giving her a peace of mind and a driving lesson. Troy, is that thought worthy of praise? And Would that action be worthy of praise? No, it's not. Is it worthy of praise to give instruction? Absolutely. Should we teach? Absolutely. Should we instruct when someone needs instruction? Absolutely. Should we, in anger, chase them down and give them that instruction? No, no, no. Did somebody say yes? No, the answer, the answer to that question is no, all right? In case you were wondering on this little pop quiz, the answer is no. You should not chase them down and give them the instruction by force. But it, all of this happens, and you know what, we laugh about this, but all this happens in a nanosecond. Right in here, it all happens just like that. This is why how we think is so incredibly important. All right. You say, okay, Troy, let's, let's suppose that I have to agree with you because the Bible says it, all right? Look, I didn't write this. If I were writing it, I would have left this verse out, Okay. This is not my choice, okay? I didn't put this in here. But since it's there, I have to deal with it. And so do you. You say, okay, I Troy, I don't know how. As a matter of fact, someone said to me this week, and I thought it was very astute, sometimes I don't even want to. I don't want to think the right way. I'd rather think the way I think, because I like the way I think. What do you do if you don't even have desire to think the right way? Or have God, yes, so God can change my thoughts, but what do I do? That's the reason Paul starts this section. Before he talks about how we think, he talks about prayer. He talks about bringing everything to the Lord in prayer. Because earlier in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he tells you how this process works. He says, we pray because it is God who works in you both to will, to desire, and to do. God does that work in you. i got good news for you. If you don't desire it, God can change your desire. He can change it. I simply come and say, Lord, I don't desire it. I know I'm supposed to think this way. I don't even desire to think this way. I'd rather think the way I've always thought. But Lord, would you change me? Would you change what I desire? I told you about my little sister. Um, way back when we first started this series. And the verse that was so powerful to her, and I, I saw it lived out, was in Isaiah 26. But Isaiah 26.3 talks about the way we think. It talks about our minds and what happens to our minds. As a matter of fact, there's a tremendous promise. And what I love about it, if again, in context, the context of Isaiah 26, and actually go back previous chapters and into 26, Israel is a mess. They have been a mess. They have, they have thought lousy and they have done lousy. And there's been a lot of consequences that gone along with it. But the Lord is giving them a promise, and He's saying, I haven't forgotten you. I love you. I care about you. I have a plan for you. And I'm going to do things. I'm going to pull you out. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to do some incredible things for you. Even though you're a mess. Do you feel better already? Because I can identify with Israel. I'm a mess. My thoughts at times can be a mess, not to mention my actions. And he says, I've got a plan for you. And by the way, he says, I've got a promise for you too. I will keep you in perfect peace. I I, I had to look that up. How do you, what is perfect peace? You know, in the Hebrew, it's literally shalom, shalom. Peace, peace. Peace on top of peace. Peace and peace and more peace. The Lord, he wanted to emphasize it so much, he used the word multiple times. Perfect peace. Peace upon peace. Peace that, as Paul says again in Philippians, love Philippians, but he says in Philippians, he will give you perfect peace. He'll give you peace that passes human understanding. That's in chapter 4. When we pray, when we bring everything to him, He will give you a peace that passes human understanding. I have tasted that. I've experienced it. Some of you have too. It is a peace that you cannot cannot explain. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't even seem right. But he says, I'll give you peace upon peace. But he says, here's how you, here's how the process works. Here's the alignment process so that you can experience peace upon peace. You keep your mind stayed on me. Keep your mind stayed on me, then you have peace upon peace. How do I do that, Lord? Okay, I got to read my Bible more, okay? Reading your Bible is good, but it doesn't say read your Bible more. It just says, keep your mind stayed on him. Well, I need to pray more. We've already talked about the importance of prayer, and it's vital in this process of our mind changing. But that, again, that's not what he said. He said, keep your mind stayed on me. Well, I need to maybe read more Christian books, attend more seminars. You know, I need to do all these different things so that my mind can be stayed on him. Again, all good things. I recommend them all. That's not what he said. See, the problem with our mind, this is my opinion, and I believe I can biblically back it up. The problem with my mind is my will. They're right there, they're cousins, they're right there in the same vicinity in this being that God's made, in the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. And the will gets in the way. You know what this word stayed means? It literally means that I come to a wall and I lean against it because I have complete confidence it's going nowhere. I can lean here against a wall. I can back up against it. It's no big deal. I don't think twice about it. Now there's some walls I've seen. I've been on some mission trips. I'd think twice about leaning against that wall. But that's the picture. He says, Troy, if you will see me in such a way that you can lean, you can put all your weight, you can put all your burden, you can put everything that would weigh you down, you can bring it and you can rest it against me. I don't move. I can handle it. You say, Well, I already know that. Yeah, I know that. You know that. But my will gets in the way that says, I don't, Lord, I want you to do it some other way. I don't want to have to come and just lean against you and trust you. Because that's the rest of the verse. Because his heart, that's in the next verse actually, because his heart trusts in him. Because I'm willing to say, Lord, I'll just come and I'll lean against you. I'll take my mind and all Okay, Lord, I'm worried about this. Okay, bring that and lean it against me. Lord, I'm scared about this. Okay, take that and lean it against me. Well, okay, I'll come to you, Lord, and Lord, I'm worried about this, now change it. Okay, that's telling me about it. Now lean it against me. Just rest against me. Take the weight of all of it's pressing you, it's pressing you somewhere. Just leaning against me. See, Peter talked about the same idea, the same concept in the New Testament when Peter says, cast all your care on Him because He cares for you. Let's put it on Him. You say, Troy, I can't do that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the Lord knew you were going to say that. He knew I was going to say it. That's the context of Philippians 4.13 the thing that I say I can't do in my thoughts, Scripture has already said, you can. You can. It can happen. It's available for you. Is it easy? No. I have never find, found dying to self and crucifying the flesh to be easy. Never. But it's possible. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Or would you come play? I have one question. I believe the Holy Spirit prompted this. I have one question for you today. Are you willing? Are you willing for him to change your thoughts? Are you willing for him to have control of your mind? Can I tell you, when I struggle the most in my thoughts, it's because I've already decided I don't really want to go where I believe he wants me to go or think what he wants me to think. The issue is rarely with my mind. It's usually with my will. already talked about that, Philippians 2. He changes what we will to do. He changes our desire. He, he can do that, but he will not do that over the top of you. He will not knock you out of the way and knock your will out of the way and make you do it. You'd say, I thought he was sovereign. He is sovereign. He can do anything. Yeah, and he could do that. He has chosen in his sovereignty not to because he made you in his image. So you have the opportunity today, and every day, not just today, every day, to say, "Lord, I will. I will let you do. I can't do this, but I will submit to you for you to do your work in my thoughts." If if you're sitting there and thinking, and the Lord's and the Holy Spirit speaking to you, well. I've got some thoughts that shouldn't be there, but I know, you know, I listen to this, I watch this, I'm engaged in this, and it doesn't help my thoughts. That's fine. The Holy Spirit wants to deal with all of that. But don't get distracted too quick, okay? I think our tendency is to run and start trying to deal with all of that. I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to start doing that. Let, don't run too fast. Let the Holy Spirit deal with your will. That's where the real battle is. Because once that's dealt with, you'll be amazed how the other things just kind of fall in place. And he'll keep dealing with it. It's not a one-time deal. It doesn't just happen once for all. It's amazing how resilient my will is. It just keeps—I put it to it keeps popping back up. It has resurrection power. said that you work in us to will and to do so right now as you're working as you're pouring out your grace I'm asking that your grace would be effective and Lord that we would be responsive to your grace to the work that you're doing to cause us to want something different Lord for those who need to let go of something in the way that they think, they're holding on to it. No, I think this way and it's right and I'm going to hold on to it. Lord, would you pour out would you apply your grace to that point of will, that contest of will? Would you apply your grace there? Lord, in those areas of our heart and life where it's like, I have a right to think this way. Lord, would you apply your grace there to our sense of ownership, where we put us first? Would you apply your grace there? And Lord, in those hearts right now who say, I'm afraid to think his thoughts. I'm afraid to let go. If I have control, I feel more secure. Lord, would you apply your grace to their fear? Would you apply it right there? All of these are function; They flow out of our will. Lord, help us today. Set people free in this moment. Speak to us, Lord. Cause us to believe what you said that we can have your mind. We can have the mind of Christ. I can think like you, Jesus. It is possible, it's a promise. just a moment, I'm going to close this prayer time. And we'll close the service. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come on up here if you would. Just move on toward the front so you're close by. When we finish in a moment, if we can pray with you about anything in your life, a thought pattern or process or thoughts that are overwhelming you, we'll pray with you. Or anything else that's going on in your life any other need that you may have, any other concern, we want to be able to pray with you. That's what we're here for. Because we believe this. Our goal is not to informationally try to change your mind. It's to do exactly what Philippians 4 says. We're going to pray. We're going to take everything to the Lord in prayer and we're going to watch Him do what He does. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that I can have your mind. Lord, I don't always have your mind. I know that. But it's, it's promised to me. It's possible. It's something that I can walk in by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, I desire it. And in those places of my heart where I don't desire it, where I still want to hang on to my way, I'm asking for you to do a work. Change me. I'm asking you to do a work in us. Change us. Change the way we think. And Lord, cause us to always stay open to you changing the way we think. Even when we thought we were thinking your thoughts, when we thought we were thinking what you wanted us to, but Lord, you're changing, and in this moment, you want us to think differently. Help us, Lord, to be willing to see and to hear and to respond. Whatever's true, Whatever is honorable, whatever's just and righteous, whatever's pure and clean, whatever's lovely produces brotherly love. Lord, whatever is a good report encourages and builds up things that are that are excellent and are worthy of praise. Lord, help us to think on these things. And we prayed in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me? It is good to be together. It's good to... Before you leave, just love on one another. Care about one another. Look around. There may be someone, they're struggling with what's going on in their life right now. Encourage one another. God bless you. You're dismissed.